0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you again this morning as we uh, begin to close out the series that we've been doing called Two Rooms. But I'm just so grateful for this community. I'm so grateful that someone can walk into a service five years ago. And discover that God really, really, really loves her and likes her. It's just amazing. So thanks so much for being a part of creating a community where where anyone can discover, develop, and deepen a relationship with Jesus. Just super, super grateful to be a part of that. Uh, Like I said, we're closing out the series we've been doing, not today, but next week. Uh, We've got one big idea. And then next week, we're super excited that uh, John Lynch is going to be with us to share uh, the closing message uh, for the. Series John Lynch. If you don't know who he is, he is the author of the book The Cure, which we've referenced several times in the series. And if you want to kind of dive into some more of the ideas around the series, The Cure is the book that you want to read. And so uh, one of the authors, John, is going to be here next week to close out the series. Super excited about that. Um, but what I want to do today, uh, you know, we're part six, and so we've spoken about a bunch of really important things in the series. And if you've missed any parts of them, I would really encourage you to go listen in online or on the app or whatever. Um, but go listen, because these ideas can, can, can change the way we not only see faith, but experience it. It's a massive deal. And what I want to do today is I actually want to talk about something that if you're a Christian, you probably do this. And if you're wanting to find out more about Christianity, you probably do this. And and yet, sometimes we do this thing Poorly, And it hurts our understanding of God. The thing that we sometimes do poorly is read the Bible. Today what I want to do is I want to kind of talk about the idea that sometimes when we read the Bible or when we hear someone talk about the Bible, we we, we read it in a way that actually hurts our faith. We read it in a way that keeps us misunderstanding who God is. And that's kind of what I want to address today. But I need to lay a bit of a foundation before I get there. And, and the foundation I want to lay is kind of remind you of the big idea of this series. The big idea of the series so far is this that Christianity is, is experienced, portrayed, and lived from two very distinct. Uh, ways, or two very distinct rooms. That's why we call the two rooms. The, what we've called it is these two rooms. We've called them the room of good intentions and the room of grace. And in the room of good intention, we have to earn our way to pleasing God. This is a way that we experience Christianity sometimes, or, or Christianity has been portrayed. Maybe you've bumped into this where the primary message is you better do something to earn your way into pleasing God, We live under the assumption that God is only pleased when we work really hard. In the room of good intentions, we live under the assumption that God is only pleased when we work really hard to do good and to be good. We live under the stress of never fully knowing if we've done enough, never fully knowing if we measure up. And so we kind of hide our worst parts, and we only show our best parts to God and to others. Because we never know, have I done enough? Because you're living in this, this, this one way of experiencing Christianity. Isabel, who just got baptized, just kind of shared the classic words of someone who's bumped into the room of good intentions. She said that the way she understood God, the version of Christianity that she grew up with, was that God was just judgmental and harsh, and she was constantly just a Disappointment. Those are classic words for being in the room of good intentions, and yet that is a way that Christianity is portrayed, and my guess is most of us have tasted that, have felt that. So that's the room of good intentions. The other one is the room of grace. And in the room of grace, Isabel spoke about that as well, where she walked in and she discovered, oh, my gosh, even though I have all these faults, he, he loves me. Because in the room of grace, what we discover is that God loves us so much that even on our worst days, He's pleased with us. What? Not because of anything we've done or not done, but because of what He's done. Because of His incredible grace and love that Jesus offered us. On the cross, So those ideas, those two rooms, those two ways have been around for a long time, but we took those names of those two rooms, those descriptions from that book, The Cure. And again, if you want to find out more, you can read that book, but, but that can be described in many different ways, and maybe you've bumped into different versions of this. Another way to describe this that I want to kind of focus in on today is that, that Christianity can be seen... As a gospel of grace, gospel is the good news or a message, um, a message of grace. It can be understood as that. And, And the gospel of grace, when we understand it like this, and this is how Jesus portrayed it, then what it says is that we, in and of ourselves, as imperfect human beings, we can never do enough. To, to, to live up to a perfect God. It says that in the room of the, the, the gospel of grace teaches that we can't, as humans, imperfect humans, can't live up to a perfect God. But that God sent his son to die for us, to pay the price for every single sin, every single fault, every single mistake. And then not just to offer us forgiveness, but to offer us life and hope, and joy, and peace, and grace, and mercy, and to adopt us as God's children. That grace has offered that, not by our own doing, but because of what Jesus did. That's the gospel of grace. The gospel of works is the other one. So it presents in Christianity this room of good intentions, room of grace, or gospel of grace, and the gospel of works, or gospel of self-effort, says this, that yes, God wants to give you his grace, but you have to do something to earn it. You have to, you have to do enough. You have to show that you're serious enough. You have to do enough to earn it. And so, so we kind of earn God's grace by our own self-effort or our own good works. And that's sometimes somehow just drilled into us. Somehow it's there. Why is it there? Not too sure sometimes, but it's there that we think we can earn it. And then sometimes if you've been in church for a while, sometimes you kind of squish these two things together. And it's kind of like, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for me to forgive my sins, but once I'm in, then I better show that I should be here, that I'm good enough to stay here, that I'm serious enough to actually do everything, and I begin to not rely on His grace, but I rely on my own self-effort to prove that I'm a good Christian. And so we kind of mix in this gospel of grace and this gospel of works. These two ideas have been literally swirling around Christianity from the very, very beginning. But I want to be very, very clear that when Jesus introduced Christianity, he did not introduce a gospel of works. He introduces this beautiful, beautiful gospel of grace, the way that he treated people, the way that he spoke to people, eventually dying on a cross that he did not deserve for you and for me, Made very clear that, that Christianity should be understood as a gospel of grace, that we can't and should never try to do anything to earn it or keep it. But it's a gospel of grace that is freely given. That's what Jesus presented. Not only did Jesus present that, but His his first followers um, also went around teaching this gospel of grace, that it's a free gift of life and love and grace, given not by our own self-effort, not because we're good enough, but because He chose to give it. One of the best examples of of one of His followers that, that expressed this so clearly is the Apostle Paul, who grew up, living under a gospel of works, thinking that he could always earn it, always do enough. And he was really good at doing it as well, and yet it left him empty until he met Jesus and discovered this incredible grace. And because of the grace, it changed his life, and he went around for the rest of his life telling people and inviting people to this gospel of grace. He wrote so much about it. And a lot of what he wrote, we have recorded in the New Testament in the Bible. I wanna show you a couple of examples of what he said. The first one I wanna show you is in Ephesians chapter two. It is a beautiful description of this gospel of grace. You know, you can read the first 10 verses. We won't do all of that. I'm gonna start in verse six um, and just express and show you what he says about this beautiful grace that Jesus made available. In verse six it says this, Ephesians two, verse six. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's just a cool, fancy theological way of saying Jesus saved us, Jesus accepted us, Jesus came toward us and he picked us up and he said, I know you can't earn it and you won't be able to, but I'm giving it to you and I'm seating you with me, alongside me. The same as me. It's crazy that he did this. And, and the verse 7 explains why it's beautiful. He says, he did that in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Wherever you read, the foundational idea of Christianity is grace. The, the, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And verse 8, Paul explains just this foundational idea. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I don't know if it could be clearer that the message of Christianity is not, and never has, and never will be, and never can be, something that you work hard to earn. Never. Paul made it clear. He said, it is not by work so that no one can boast. He knows we'll boast. Because if I do it better than you, I'll be like, I'm awesome. Paul says, no, it's not that. That's in us. He says, you cannot earn this. You cannot keep it by your own strength. It is a gift. It is grace. It is grace. It is by grace. There's nothing that we can do to add to the efforts of what it takes to connect with God, to be reconciled with God, to be saved. It has everything to do with the magnitude of God's love and grace and desire to do whatever it takes to save us. Now, I'm harping on this because this is a big, big deal it's such a big deal that, that Jesus talked about this. Jesus died for this. And then Paul wrote about this over and over and over again that it's by grace. And it's something that's so big. And yet, still, over and over, we like, like, you know, we kind of our gravitational pull is, is back towards: I gotta earn it. I gotta work on this. I gotta show, I gotta prove. Somehow that's in us. So much so that Paul wrote so much about it, Jesus talked about it, and then every now and then. It gets so bad in a church culture that someone remembers oh my gosh, this is not about works. It's not about self effort. Let's remind people that it's by grace. One of the historian, you know, historical people that did this so beautifully is a guy named Martin Luther. Maybe you've heard of him. He lived in the late 15th century, early 16th century, but he lived in a church world where they were literally saying, God wants to give grace, sure. Jesus died, sure, but you have to do a bunch of stuff to earn His grace. And Martin Luther was like, wait, what? If you have to earn grace, then it's not grace. Then it's wages. What you earn is wages, it's a salary, you, you deserve it. No, 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 grace cannot be earned. And he went back to Paul and he went back to what Jesus said and he came out and he taught and he wrote and he expressed very strongly that this is not something we can earn. It's not by self-effort, it's not a gospel of works, it's a gospel of grace. And he laid the groundwork for what has become a phenomenally important statement that describes Christianity. That this statement, if we can understand this statement, this helps us understand the foundational idea of what Christianity is. And the statement is this, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, and if we can understand that, if we can have that as the basis of our understanding of a relationship with God, that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In fact, this is so important, I'd love for you, if you're comfortable with it, I'd love for you to say this with me. Okay, you ready? One, two, three. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now there's so much in this statement and maybe at some point we'll come back and delve really deep into it. But what I wanna point out today is it says it's by grace alone. There is nothing we can do to add to it. It is not a gospel of works and self-effort. If ever self-effort sneaks into your relationship with God, then it doesn't line up with this foundational statement that, that Paul made clear about grace and that Martin Luther kind of expressed in a way that's easy and memorable. That it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that his salvation, his grace, his acceptance, everything that God offers comes how? By grace. Alone, do I need to do anything to get it? No, it's by grace alone, through faith alone. In other words, if I just simply trust Him, if I just simply trust Jesus, then everything is available, 100% available to us when I trust Him. Again, I wanna show you two more verses that make this plain as day. It's all over Scripture. I read that Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 3, Paul continues to describe it. He says in 3 verse 2, surely, Paul's writing to these people who live in Ephesus, he says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. In other words, he was saying, this is the message of grace that I came to give you. Jump to verse six, he says, this mystery is that through the gospel, The Gentiles, that's non-Jews, through the gospel, the Gentiles are sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus, this promise. We are given this promise because of what Jesus did. And then verse 12 says it so beautifully. In Him, in Christ, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Not going, am I allowed to? Is it okay? No, with freedom and confidence through Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. One more verse, Philippians three verse nine, Paul is busy writing about himself and he says this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, by doing all the right things, by keeping all the rules, by keeping all the laws, not having a righteousness that comes from my own self effort, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It couldn't be clearer that Christianity's foundation is not you better do better, is not you better prove that you're good enough, you better stop that and do this, no, 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 no. It's so clear, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the message of Christianity. Now, I took a lot of time to kind of hammer that point because that is so foundational. If you understand Christianity, if you understand Paul, if you understand Jesus, if you understand what, what, what he came to do, it is that. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are given a relationship with God. We are saved. Now, the reason I bring that all up is because that lays a foundation of the mistake we sometimes make when we read the Bible because as you can see, that's super clear. But sometimes, we will read the Bible and we'll read a portion of the Bible that seems to tell you, you better earn it. We'll read, we'll bump into a verse here or a a passage there that says, oh my gosh, if you don't do this, and I'm gonna show you a few examples today, but we, we bump into these verses and we forget the foundation of Christianity is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so when we read the Scriptures, when we forget that, we almost read the Bible, and it keeps us misunderstanding God, because we bump into these verses, we forget that really important foundation, and we keep believing that God is wanting us to do, and earn, and prove, and be, and go, and do all the stuff, because we forget this foundation. What I'm trying to say is, sometimes we read the Bible wrong, And when we read the Bible wrong, sometimes that affirms our misunderstandings of God. And it's because we're reading it out of the context of what Jesus came to do. If we forget that this whole grace found in Jesus thing is the foundation of everything in Christianity, we'll read the Bible wrong. And it will make us Continue to think, oh my gosh, God is just a judgmental, angry, harsh God who's asking me to do something that I can't do. So, what I want to do today is I want to show you how sometimes when we read the Bible, we are bringing a gospel of works as a filter. And when we read it, all we see is do better. And what he's asking us to do is understand the foundation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. When we do that and we read the Bible, we, we understand it completely differently. To give another picture, kind of going back to the room of grace and the room of good intentions, sometimes we open the Bible and we're sitting in the room of good intentions, and all we see in that is perform. All we see in the Bible is do better. But if you're sitting in the room of grace, you can read the exact same words and understand the message completely different. I'm I'm telling you, I remember when I realized this for the first time. It was a few years ago. I was still in South Africa, and I was talking with a friend of mine. I kind of remember where we were standing because this was such a pivotal um, recognition, realization for me but I'd grown up sort of understanding this, this gospel of works, this gospel of self-effort that I had to do, this room of good intention stuff, that I better do right, otherwise God won't be pleased. I better do right, otherwise God will, will kind of, you know, be so disappointed in me and, and, and I could kind of lose my standing with God if I didn't do it all right. I have to earn, I have to earn, I have to earn. And somehow I discovered this gospel of grace. And it blew me away, I was like, oh my gosh, this is about Him, past, present, and future, that I can't earn it, no matter how hard I try. That as a human being, I am more sinful than I ever dared believe, but yet I'm more loved than I ever dared hope, and in Him I can be more whole than I ever dared imagine. I discovered this, and as I was reading the Bible, I was thinking about this, going, wow, it's about grace, it's about grace, it's about grace. And then as I'm sitting there with this friend of mine, I was like, but wait, what about that scripture that tells me I have to do all these things? And so I opened the Bible and I turned the page to this one scripture going, this says I must do. And you know what happened in that moment? It was crazy, it was so cool. What happened in that moment is I saw the scripture differently because I had read it in the past that I must do certain things in order to earn grace. And with this understanding of the gospel of grace, it flipped it on its head and how I understood the scripture is that I have been given grace and therefore I am these things. It flipped it completely and I was like, wait, 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 wait. Is that only this scripture? And I turned to another one that I'd read before that you have to earn your way in. And I read it again and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's grace again. He's given it to me, Jesus died for me. I have that, I am secure, therefore I can. And my whole understanding of scripture moved from the room of good intentions this gospel of works, self-effort, earn it to this room of grace where I had already been given it. Not based on my goodness, but based on His. But what about the things I must do? He's already given me grace. He's already changed me and made me different. And it changed the way I read Scripture. And so today what I want to do is I want to kind of point out the fact that sometimes we read the Bible from the Room of Good Intentions, and all we read is self-effort. But if we can understand the foundation of it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then we will read and see His grace throughout Scripture, and it changes the way we see it. So, So this is the important lesson that I learned about reading the Bible, that when it comes to Christianity... And when it comes to trying to understand the Bible according to Christianity, if Scripture doesn't go through Christ, remember it's called Christianity, okay, for a reason. It's about Christ. If Scripture in Christianity doesn't go through Christ or isn't seen in the light of Christ and what He has done, or if it doesn't point to Christ, it is probably not a Christian understanding of Scripture, It's a huge deal. Let me say it again. If your interpretation of Scripture doesn't point to Christ or stand on the foundation of Christ and what he has done, it is not a Christian understanding of Scripture. Does that make sense? If Christ and what he's done doesn't affect and impact how I read Scripture, it's not a Christian understanding. In other words, every time I read the Bible, every time I hear someone read the Bible, every time I read a book about the Bible, every time I read a Scripture or understand or try to understand a Scripture, the question I must ask is, how does Christ impact the Scripture? How does Christ impact my understanding of the Scripture? How does what Christ has accomplished for us come into play in the Scripture? And if we don't have that in our minds, it can be really easy to read parts of Scripture and go, well, I'm supposed to do that, and lean into a gospel of works, lean into I must earn it, when we forget the foundational idea is that salvation, a relationship with God is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ So what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to go read a few scriptures and show you how I and we sometimes read scriptures without Christ in there, without grace in there, and how it can mean something else. That if I'm reading it from the room of good intentions, then I kind of lean towards self-effort. I see self-effort. I see my own works. And if I read it from the room of grace, then I see His grace and His help and his power. So let's start with Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. It's this beautiful portion that kind of gives us instructions if you're a Christian. Here's what it says, Colossians 3, verse 12. We're going to read this from the room of good intentions and read it from the room of grace and see the difference. Colossians 3, verse 12 says this, "'Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience.'" Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, if you're sitting in the room of good intentions and you kind of lean towards a gospel of works and self-effort, this is how you may read that scripture. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, may mean something like, well, if you're a Christian, if you're God's chosen people, you better be holy because I see self-effort in this. And then then it continues and tells me how I'm supposed to live and it feels like a finger pointed at me saying, you better have compassion, you better be kind, you better be humble, you better be patient, you better bear with one another. These are instructions because if you call yourself a Christian, come on, then you better do these things. And it feels like finger-pointed, call to self-effort that we're supposed to do. And then it gets to that forgiveness one. And this one's tough for me because it's like, and you better forgive the way that the Lord forgave you. The Lord forgave you. He died for you. He forgave you. And you're hurt by someone? What's wrong with you? Why can't you forgive? But I'm still hurt. I don't know. It's just, it's forgive them. And it's this finger pointed saying, you better do better if we're sitting In the room of good intentions. I don't think that's how it was meant to be written. And I think if we understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith, trusting him alone, in Christ alone, then I think we can understand this differently. If you're sitting in the room of grace while you're reading this scripture, I think it'll mean probably something like this. He starts off by saying, Therefore, as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved, doesn't that mean? that God chose you? What if you start reading this from that standpoint? I'm chosen by my heavenly Father and He somehow has already made me holy. He has put His Holy Spirit in me. He's changed me on the inside. And it says I'm dearly loved. What if we read every instruction in Scripture with that foundation that I am chosen, I am holy. I know I don't feel it sometimes, but I have some dumb thoughts and dumb things that I do sometimes, but inside me, He has put His holiness in me, and I am dearly loved. Man, when I feel dearly loved, I'll do anything for you. (laughs) When you're pointing at me saying you better... I like, oh, get defensive. But if I feel dearly loved, then I'll do anything. And maybe those instructions of, okay, would you go and be kind and humble and patient and compassionate? Maybe he's saying, I've put my spirit in you and this is who I'm making you to be. It's not something you have to do to earn your way in. This is who you are if I'm in you. And that forgiveness thing where he says, forgive as I've forgiven you, maybe what he's saying is this, that if you have truly felt the depth of his forgiveness toward you, and you have felt the healing that comes from that, then forgiveness is growing in your heart and you're able to look at another person with compassion going, me too. And forgiveness begins to flow. You see, it's two very different ways of reading the same scripture. One is telling you, you better do better You better be more like this. You better be more like that. Come on, what's wrong with you? And the other one says, there's nothing wrong with you. I have saved you. I have put my life in you. Yes, as a human being, you are a sinner, but I have died for you to overcome that sin. I have accepted you. You are chosen and dearly loved. I am in you. Would you walk with me? It's a completely different way of understanding one is the gospel of works, where its foundation is always self-effort. The other one is the gospel of grace, where the foundation is always His grace and His power and us trusting Him. And I'm telling you, when we read Scripture, we are reading it either from the place of a gospel of works, where it's self-effort driven, or a gospel of grace, where it's His grace and power in me driven. Completely different way of reading the Bible. But maybe, maybe you're like me and you hear something like that and you're like, you just read that different. How, do you, why, how can you change the whole meaning of that? What does it actually mean? The reason I can do that, the reason I can read it from a gospel of grace that is founded on what Christ did is because the context tells me that. 11 verses earlier in Colossians 3 verse 1, this is what it says. First word is so important. It says, since, since then you have been raised with Christ, that God has raised us up. He has saved us. Christ has entered the picture. And since that is true, the rest of the chapter stands on the foundation of Jesus and his grace and his love. That's why Colossians 3.12 says, therefore as God's chosen people, because Christ has entered the picture. And if that's true, it changes how we read and live the stuff. If I read these scriptures, if I read any scripture from the room of good intentions or a gospel of works, I will see my effort in all of it. But if I read scripture from the room of grace, I will see His grace everywhere. And I will learn to trust His grace Two ways of reading the Bible. One way keeps us thinking that God is wagging a finger, telling us that we have to earn it. The other one is saying, I've paid for it already. Would you, would you trust me? Two very different ways of reading scripture. I wanna show you a couple more examples. Hebrews 11 verse six, this is a quick one. We did this, we read this last week. It says this, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're standing in the room of good intentions or seeing this as a gospel of works, what you may read with that is something like this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh Uh-oh, I better have the right faith, otherwise I'm not gonna please God. You better do it right. But if you read this from the room of grace, you'll probably understand it's something like this. Oh my word, I please God when I trust Him. I please God when I place my faith in him. That changes everything. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Again, the context shows us this because the next chapter, Hebrews 12 verse two, we looked at this last week, so I'm not gonna put it up, but it says, Hebrews 12, two, that our faith, in order to do this, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Everywhere you look, it either points to or stands on the foundation of Jesus. That it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if we read the Bible from that place, we will be drawn into this room of grace. If we read the Bible from a a gospel of works, we will always see the need for our own effort. Even reading the same scripture. Over and over and over again, you can see this. I want to show you one more. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is a harsh one. And again, I've read this before, many times going, oh, oh, what do I do with this? Matthew five seventeen. Jesus is speaking, and he says this, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. If you're in the room of good intentions, the gospel of works, you're like, uh-oh, I thought you came and made it not about what we do. No, 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 do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And In the room of good intentions, I'm going, (sighs) I've got to accomplish all the law of what he said. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Am I gonna be least in the kingdom of heaven? But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So I better try and do everything and earn my way in and self-effort my way in. And then he says this in verse 20, for I tell you, scary verse, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were the most righteous people in that day, unless it surpasses their righteousness, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what do you do with that? Well, if you're reading from the Room of Good Intentions, you're like, oh, I've got to do all this stuff. How am I going to be better than them? And I'm only going to show my best parts, and I'm going to you know, hide the worst parts. And when I make a mistake, I'm not going to tell anyone, and I'm not going to show God. I'm going to try and do everything I can to please what Jesus said, and it was Jesus who said it. So how do I do that? But somehow that contradicts the cross. <laughs> somehow that contradicts what Jesus said. And his grace, so how do we understand that? Because it's a huge deal. But here's the thing, if you read it from the room of grace, it begins to make sense because if you just keep reading the Gospel of Matthew, the the account that Matthew wrote, you find that later in that book, that Matthew describes how Jesus actually saw the Pharisees that he said our righteousness must surpass. In chapter 23, verse 27, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says this, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, "'you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs "'which look beautiful on the outside, "'but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead "'and everything unclean. "'In the same way, on the outside, "'you appear to people as righteous, "'but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness.'" (laughs) So when Jesus is saying, "'Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness "'of these guys,' What is he saying? I think what he's saying is this, that even the most righteous-looking people can't earn their way to grace. Even the most righteous-looking people can't earn their way to grace. And I think Jesus was saying, you need a deeper righteousness that you can't create, that you can't make happen. Not even the Pharisees could make that happen. You need a deeper righteousness and a grace. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 tells us how we get that. It says this, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin. And if you think about what he said in Matthew 5, that means that Jesus accomplished all the law. Every letter, every smallest stroke of the pen, Jesus fulfilled it all. He never sinned. He said, I haven't come to abolish it, but I've come to fulfill it That means Jesus was the one who fulfilled all the law. And it continues. It says, God made him who knew no sin, had no sin to be sin for us. That he took on our breaking of the law and put it on himself so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5 is your righteousness needs to exceed anything you could ever find. But if you would just trust my grace, then I will take your sin and I will give you God's righteousness. Now let me ask you, do you think God's righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees? I think so. <laughs> and he says, if you would just simply trust me, you will have the righteousness of that I make available to you. Telling you, reading the Bible from the room of grace changes our understanding, and it helps us discover more of who this God of grace is, more of the fact that Christianity teaches that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When we read it from the book, uh, from, from the gospel of of works, when we read it from the room of good intentions, it's always spurring on my own self effort, which makes me not trust him more but trust me more. And it always makes me doubt his grace. But if I'm reading the Bible from the room of grace, I see grace lathered over every single scripture, even the ones that don't mention Jesus. A Christian understanding of scripture includes Christ as the foundation every single time. So today, that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted us to understand that every time we read the Bible, every time we hear a scripture mentioned, every time we read a book, we're either reading it from the room of grace or from the room of good intentions. And we need to ask ourselves the question every time, How am I reading this? How does Christ and His grace impact what I'm reading now? Because if I'm reading it from the room of good intentions, I am building a self-effort understanding and a gospel of works. But if I'm reading it from the room of grace, which is how it was intended because Jesus died to give us His grace, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not of works so that no one can boast. That's the foundation of Christianity. And that's how God invites us to read the Bible, the room of grace. So that's what I want to invite us to remember, because sometimes it's hard, man. I mess up a bunch of times with this, especially when it says, your righteousness better exceed that of the Pharisees. I'm like, oh but if you understand the room of grace, if you understand his grace is the thing that lays the foundation, it changes everything. I wanna end by reading a beautiful description of grace just to invite us to read scripture from the room of grace. It's something that Paul David Tripp wrote recently and it's just a beautiful picture of this grace that God invites us to. Grace is a thunderous, expansive, powerful, and life-altering word. Other than God, there is no more important word that the human mind could consider and the mouth could speak. Grace is the ultimate spiritual game changer. It is the one thing that has the power to change you and everything about you. There simply is nothing comparable to God's grace. Grace explodes into your life in a moment, but it will occupy you for all of eternity. You could dig into grace every day of your life and not reach the bottom of its power and glory. Grace is the bottomless, treasure-laden mine of divine help. In his famous hymn, John Newton really did choose the best word ever to describe grace, amazing. Grace is why God sent his son into the world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to transform us from what we are, sinners separated from him, into what we are becoming Christ-like and with him forever. Because you are God's child, grace is something you'll never deserve but can always expect. Grace is a tool that God uses to transform you, but it also defines the nature of his relationship to Grace will devastate you while giving you peace of heart and rest of soul you have never experienced before. Grace will require of you to confess your unworthiness, but will never, ever make you feel alone and unloved. Grace will remind you again and again that you have no ability whatsoever to earn God's favor, but it will dispel your fear of not measuring up. Grace will confront you with the reality that you are way less than you thought you were while it comforts you with the promise that you can be way more than you ever imagined. Grace will call you to examine yourself with honesty and humility but free you from being paralyzed by fearful introspection. Grace will ask you to admit to your catalog of weaknesses while at the same time empowering you with new found strength. Grace will keep reminding you of what you are not so that you will receive God's welcome to be what you can now be. Grace will make you sadder than you have ever been in your life and give you cause for joy and celebration that nothing or or no one can take away. Grace will blow up your little kingdom of one while it introduces you to a much better, more glorious king. Grace will work to expose your blindness while it gives you eyes to see. Grace will drive you to the end of yourself while it holds before you the promise of fresh starts and new beginnings. Grace is a person and his name is Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for grace. God, thank you that grace wasn't just a theory or an idea, but it was a person. It is a person. Jesus, thank you for your incredible picture of grace in the cross. Thank you for dying for us. And Father, my prayer today is that we will understand the big, beautiful, incredible magnitude of your grace that while we are drawn to self-effort and drawn to our own works to try and please and impress, would you remind us every day that your grace is there? And then, Father, I pray that as we read the Bible, we will remember to ask how does what Christ did and the grace he offers impact the scripture? Help us understand that. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.